Welcome to the East West Grind Podcast. I am your trusted host, Christine Silva. Welcome one, welcome all. What's up, guys? Welcome back. And on today's episode of the East West Grind Podcast, I'd like to point a flashlight at a couple of things that I think are pretty important, and I want to get these out ASAP, especially as we get a bit closer to the presidential election. I think we're like 20 days out. So real quick, I want to give you my take on this upcoming election. We've got four generations voting, the baby boomers, the Gen Xers, the millennials, and the Gen Zs. What I see happening in this election uh, is it's going to go one of two ways not just in terms of Republican or Democrat, but in choosing Trump or Biden, we're choosing to go back to the old ways of operating our country with Trump, or we're choosing progression with Biden. And historically, progression always wins, right? I mean, otherwise we'd still be in like horse and buggies and shit. But let me, let me go a step further and explain what I mean. The baby boomers are, of course, the oldest living generation. My parents are baby boomers. And, you know, you didn't talk back to that generation. They were always right. That's just how it was. And they don't like change. Not a lot of people do anyway, but, you know, especially those folks, they don't like change. The Gen X generation, my generation, we're a hardworking generation. We fucking bust ass at work. And we are also the problem solvers. I mean, I could give my brother a screwdriver and he'll just fix anything having no schooling, just knows how to do shit. That's a true story. But the millennials and the Gen Z, our kids' generation, these guys are the innovators. Look how fast technology has progressed with these kids. Not without problems. I mean, democracies have crumbled all over the world because, you know, you guys didn't want to police the content of your site allowing for lies and conspiracy theories to spread like wildfire. Ain't that right, Mr. Zuckerberg? And Sheryl Sandberg, where the hell are you, man? You could have leaned in here and placed some restrictions on that shit before it got way out of hand. And innovators, word to the wise, if you hire your parents' generation in executive-level positions and allow them to help steer your business when you start to build your team, that problem solver generation, the Gen Xers, again, your parents' generation, will help keep your startups out of legal shit. All right? Uber, Google, Facebook, tech industry. Why? Why will they help keep you guys out of shit? Because most of the shit you innovators are getting yourselves into has already happened in business and in the baby boomer generation. And the Gen Xers were always getting some sort of corporate training on what not to do at work. How do we know? Because we worked for these corporations when some fat cat baby boomer thought he was sexy and went after a secretary. That shit is happening again in the younger businesses, in the younger generations. And we've got laws that go back to like the 60s that say you can't do that shit anymore. Truth is stranger than fiction, judgy wudgy. <laughs> and the baby boomer type I'm talking about are the Trump boomers. 
You know the type I'm talking about. The old fat white guy who sits behind a desk doing nothing, smoking cigars while they smack their secretary on the ass and say, give me a cup of coffee, honey, will you? Yeah, you can't do that shit at work anymore. But these old clowns, they're losing control in business, in politics, and of the country. To the innovators, the millennials, our kids. See, most of my generation fell in line and went to work for the baby boomer business leaders out of high school. Some stayed 30 years, and, and if you are a Gen Xer or baby boomer who worked for old corporate for like 30 years, look around your environment. Did they take care of you for helping them generate millions and billions of dollars over the year? I'm just asking the question, are you set up? I don't know. And side note, if you're the guy who emailed me last week about how disrespectful I am to my elders when I do bring up this subject about the baby boomers competing with millennials, one, go fuck yourself. Why don't you get the fuck out of here before I shove your quotations book up your fat fucking ass? My mother raised me to open the door for my grandparents and that generation. She raised me to give up my chair to one of my aunts when they would come visit. My mother also raised me to give up my seat on a full BART train to the older or baby boomer generations, okay? And two, those who want respect, give respect, okay? Got that? And the tech industry leaders have taken over in terms of wealth. But our kids' generation, they were like, fuck that noise, I'm going to do my own shit. And a large majority of their own shit is the tech industry. The tech industry leaders have taken over in terms of wealth and are providing jobs for engineers all the way down to janitors, bus drivers, truck drivers, culinary teams, mechanics. And guess what? The tech industry pays their people well. I worked on the campus of Google for like three years. That shit was fun. I had Pac-Man outside my office door. I rode bicycles from building to building for meetings. And I was not an engineer. I was in the culinary team. The tech leaders provide perks and salaries that no other generation has ever experienced. Tech industry has brought those fat cats to their knees by hiring all their good people, which has resulted in the growth of an industry, the tech industry, faster than any industry in history. So kudos, kids. And the problem solver generation, the Gen X era, we are going to decide this election. It's your parents' way of life or your kids. Simple as that. All right, I'd like to uh, go into two veins today that I think is really important and that are on the ballot with your choice for president. So I'm going to just jump around a bit, and that's by design. So hold on to your ass, my friends, and, and try and keep up, all right? All right, let's jump into this shit. So I want to talk about something I call the Rob Ford-Donald Trump connection. Everyone knows who Donald Trump is, of course. Uh, do a lot of Americans know who Rob Ford is? Probably not, but some of us may know 
of Rob Ford because Rob Ford made global news in 2013, 14, 15, 16. Rob was the mayor of the biggest city in Canada. That's Toronto. And why did Rob Ford gain global recognition? That's a good question. And because most mayors, nobody out there really knows except their constituents. But in 2013, Rob Ford was busted on video in what appeared to be a crack house. And in that video, Mayor Ford was clearly smoking meth and rambling on incoherently about how great he is and about how terrible Justin Trudeau is. Yeah, that was Mayor Ford. Rest in peace, sir. And by the way, on a personal note, I'm a huge fan of Justin Trudeau's and and I often refer to him as Prince Charming. I thought it was great. A few years ago, Justin Trudeau came to the White House for a meeting with President Trump and Trudeau was wearing these like multicolored socks. So he's sitting across from Trump, just dangling and swinging his leg. And Trump is looking at his socks and giving him like the stink eye, you know, like you fucking sissy. He had that look about him. And Trudeau's just sitting there smiling like, you know, what's up, fat boy? It was hilarious. Anyways, fun fact about Trudeau's father. I learned recently he was uh, dating Barbara Streisand for a few years at the end of the 60s. So that's pretty cool. You don't bring me flowers. You don't sing me love songs. I'm a huge fan of Barbara Streisand, so I can see why, you know, the elder uh, Trudeau was attracted to her. All right, back to uh, Rob Ford. There's a great podcast series called The Gravy Train. I listened to it on Luminary. That really breaks down Mayor Ford's life, his uh, rise and fall out there in Toronto, and his death, okay? And now that I've given you a bit of Rob Ford, I want to draw the connection between Trump and Ford. But first, we got to agree on a few things before going on, okay? Just follow me. The first thing we got to agree on is one, street drugs like methamphetamine, heroin, and this new craze fentanyl are a huge problem in our states and in other countries like Canada. The CDC reports 100,000 overdoses a year almost, and that's just the deaths. Addiction itself is off the rails. Big pharma too, like opioids or alcohol, are also a huge problem in America. And all those issues run the gamut in victims and in all classes of society. What do I mean by that, by run the gamut of victims in all classes of society? Addictions and overdoses happen in rich families as well as in middle class and in poor families. It's just hidden better in rich families with their money and their societal pull and until it can't be hidden anymore. And what do I mean by it can't be hidden anymore? Well, that's when one of the Kennedy grandkids ODs on opioids. That's global news. Boom. Dead at whatever really young age she was. It's a tragedy. It's a life wasted. I empathize with it. And it's proof that addiction and drugs take hold everywhere. Rich or poor, we all go through shit. Partnership to End Addiction reports almost 25 million Americans are addicted to drugs or alcohol. And I'm sure that those 25 million have families or people 
who live with the pain of watching that loved one suffer. Am I right? And let me, let me take two steps back for a second to define what I mean when I say societal pull. What I mean is, is something like a Matt Gates, And you may hear me talk about Matt Gates a lot. He's a representative of the first district in Florida. He reminds me a lot of that cartoon character Bobby around Trump, always looking for attention. Matt Gates has had at least one DUI cleared or thrown out because of his dad's political pull. Matt's dad was a powerful politician in Florida. His name is Don Gates. So in terms of political pull, that is what I mean. So Matt Gates, I think it's 2008, Matt Gates is pulled over, taken to jail, got a nice little mugshot, and magically the DUI that he was pulled over for, that charge, is thrown out. One can only assume that his family name got him off that drug charge. Why can one logically come to that conclusion? Because nobody I know ever got so lucky. Anybody else out there know anybody that's been like, dude, I just went to court for a DUI and the judge threw it out. She was so cool. Yeah, that never happened to the average Joe. The average Joe gets pulled over for a DUI, sleeps it off in a cell, makes the call of shame to his mom or whoever to say, can you pick me up? Yeah, where are you at? I'm in jail. And you both are like, fuck. The average Joe's kid or the average Joe with the DUI then has to go to court, pay fines, go to classes, insurance gets hiked up. He could lose his job. It's a fucking mess for the average Joe. So let's recap. We've got two individuals, an average Joe's kid and a politician's kid, same charge of DUI. Why does the politician's kid get a, get a pass? Why? Because of who he is? And that, my friends, is what political pull looks like. And for the record, Matt Gates should not be serving uh, the public, at least as an elected representative, in any capacity. And not because he's had a DUI. People fuck up all the time. We're all human. But Matt Gates shouldn't be serving the public as a politician for the people. Because he took that pass for the DUI as if he is better than the average Joe or the average Joe's kid, which should tell you all you need to know about Matt Gates's character and integrity. And this guy with shitty character and integrity, he has a say-so over tax dollars and policy. And that is just bad news bears for the average Joe. So Florida, if you're listening, there's an election on November 3rd. Russia, if you're listening. All right, back to number one. If you agree that addiction is a problem in America, great, we're on the same page. Let's go to number two. Number two, with addiction taking hold in such a large part of our society in America, as well as in Canada, you would have to agree that most people either know or have known or have a family member with addiction issues. If you agree with one and two, right on. Let's keep trucking along. If not, and if everyone in your sphere is immune to these types of issues, congratulations, you're either in denial or an outlier. So leave if you must. No hard feelings. 
So with many people and families affected by addiction, there is this collective societal soft spot for the person suffering from the addiction by that addict's family member and friends who love that addicted family member or friend and who bear witness to the stronghold that addiction has over that friend or loved one. You just want to be like, dude, enough is enough. But it's not that easy. You wish it was, but it never is. And now I want to ask a third question. That person or people in your square life that is in the world of addiction, would you trust that person with your ATM card? Probably not. I know I wouldn't. Why do I ask? And this is going to bring us back to Mayor Ford, but because in Mayor Rob Ford, you had a meth addict, an alcoholic, a liar, a sneak. No offense, sir. Again, rest in peace. I'm just trying to make a point here. But for three years prior to that video legally being released, Mayor Ford denied that video existed. Uh, He made shit up about the accusations and was running around calling the press fake news and liars for those three years before the Toronto police could actually, you know, legally release that video of him smoking meth. And then he changed his tune with like, well, maybe I, I did smoke meth in one of my drunken stupors. See that? The media wasn't lying. Ford was lying and he knew it. But he convinced the constituents of the largest city in Canada that their own local news sources were the actual liars in fake news. Do you guys see where I'm going with this, friends? And even after the video and the lying to the city and his people and his country, Rob Ford won his re-election. He died before the election, but he still won. Why would good people willingly vote a known lying drug addict into a position that oversees a budget of millions of dollars in taxpayers' money? I want to use the ATM reference again. Would anybody out there give their ATM to an addicted family member or friend? Hell fucking no. What's the difference between an addicted family member and addicted elected official? Nothing in terms of character, but the most stark difference is that the elected official is making decisions for the mass and decides in part where the tax dollars go. That is a problem. But most people have a Rob Ford in their family that they just wish would become someone or change or do better than tweaker status or bum. And Rob Ford, with all his flaws and problems, he represented success and hope for so many families affected by addiction. Like, look, if Rob can do it, so can you. Like, get your shit together. But Rob wasn't this honest meth user doing good by the everyday stiff, his constituents. He was doing what you would expect any addict to be doing. Lying, stealing, and cheating from the people that trusted him with their tax dollars or their ATM, if you will. The connection I'm trying to draw between Trump and Ford, Trump, who was never an average Joe, you have to agree with that too, never a working stiff, and in fact was born into millions. He used Rob Ford's business model to connect with the economically 
middle and lower class Americans, the forgotten generation or whatever they're saying they are, the silent majority. He gained their trust by speaking their everyday language. And with that trust, Trump convinced Americans that our news sources, since the inception of television, I might add, and 150, 180-year-old newspapers like the Washington Post, he convinced that group that these guys were fake and that he's the only truth teller, all while burning the little guy, just like Rob Ford did to his voters. And if you don't believe that's possible, I encourage you to look up uh, a campaign advisor Trump used for his 2016 campaign and presidential run. The dude's name is Doug Ford. That's right. That's Rob Ford's brother. Those two were obviously canoodling on how to connect with our people, with the American people. And let me be clear, guys, I'm not accusing or insinuating that President Trump is a meth user. That's not what I'm saying at all, folks. But what I am saying uh, is Trump is a businessman and, and he uses business models. He used Rob Ford's business model here in 2016 and he's continuing to use it. So again, we've got Two choices come November 3rd, folks. Sleepy Joe Biden, as Trump would call him, or a Walmart version of Elvis Presley 1977 in his last concert at the Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, Minnesota. Just all bloated and sweaty and incoherent at that stage. Joe Biden, y'all. Vote Joe Biden. We can't go on together with suspicious minds. All right, that feels good getting that off my chest. Now I'd like to recognize the, real quick, the life of Supreme Court Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the notorious RBG. It's been about three weeks since she's passed, and I I think about her often, so I want to take a little bit for a second here today and remind you guys just a little bit about who she was. Justice Ginsburg was from Brooklyn, and that nickname, Notorious RBG, was given to her uh, by one of her law students after another powerhouse Brooklyn native, Notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls, or Christopher Wallace, as his mother would call him. And I'm sure all my fellow Gen Xers and the baby boomer generation, and probably the millennials because my kids know who he is, but I'm sure you'll all remember that icon in rap history, and who can forget... Biggie, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. And I'm no rapper, folks. But when that's when this song would come on uh, the radio back in my day, most people turned it up, started bobbing their necks, and sang right along with it. Those were good times in history. Youth. But Justice Ginsburg was uh, the second woman in the history of the United States to be placed on the Supreme Court after Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Justice Ginsburg spent 27 years on the Supreme Court via President Bill Clinton beginning in 1993 and coincidentally the same year I gave birth to my baby boy, Jesse. Justice Ginsburg was a champion for women's rights, for women's rights over their own body. I mean, who, and this kind of, this subject right here, over women's rights over their own body. I mean, who the fuck these old guys think they are, huh? They sit in a room making decisions for women. 
you know, what they can and can't do with their bodies. Motherfucker, women don't need you telling them what's best for their bodies. We can make decisions. We run households and we work. We go through childbirth, not you. You couldn't stand that pain. Ted Cruz, Mitch McConnell, Matt Gates. Most of you guys are in bed for two days with a fever of 99.5 thinking you're dying. So get out of here. Go sit in your boardroom and make decisions for Viagra. That seems about right, right? That's what you guys use. Or maybe we let a bunch of women sit in a room and make decisions about Vi- Viagra for you. Does that seem fair? Probably not. See, now I'm fucking pissed off. I'm just kidding. Anyways, back to Justice Ginsburg here. She was a staunch defender for equality across the board in the workplace, for the LGBT community. She was a true champion for all people. And speaking of the LGBTQRSTUV, guys, while we're here, I'd like to say that we're adding letters to the back of this so often, I don't even know where we're at sometimes. And this right here is what some people in different generations, usually the older generations, don't understand and may be afraid to ask questions about, myself included sometimes. And I'll tell you a story about that in a minute. But this is relatively new, this whole LGBTQ label. And I'm not talking about gay people. Gay people been around forever. You don't honestly think being gay was invented, right? Do you? Do you? Pick up a history book about our founding fathers. Gay people been around. So I'm not talking about gay people per se. I'm talking about how these whole acronyms for different groups are made now. Hispanics are moving into this new thing called Latinx. Please don't bombard my inbox with shit about how racist I am. I'm cool with it. I don't care. I'm just not Latinx. I didn't get the memo, but I'm curious about it. So don't just assume or talk to people like they're stupid or they should have known when they ask you what that means or, or accuse them of being racist for not knowing. That's how shit starts. People get offended because others don't know what all these initials represent. And for the record, if I'm asking, as I'm sure this is true for most people, but we're asking because we're curious and want to know. People ask me all the time when I came out or when I knew I was gay. I talk to them. It's all good. If I can help someone understand my gay community or myself a little bit better through conversation, I say right fucking on. Let's do it. Let's have that conversation. But why can't we just simplify it for society, huh, as a whole? I mean, I think we can agree that as individuals, as a country, and as a society, we've all got bigger fish to fry than how to put together some letters to describe a group of people. Why can't we just either be the gay community or the straight community in terms of dating, relationship, and hooking up? And then collectively, we're all one community, the human race. We're all human beings. Why has it got to be so hard? Now, here's that story I was going to tell you a few minutes ago from last week. The other day on my social media post, I mentioned the LGBT community and forgot the following letters that are now used to describe that community, my community. And a young gay person called me a racist and homophobe because I didn't mention the Q or T. I'm just looking at that post and I'm like, I'm a homophobe. I'm a homophobe. As I sit next to my wife 
watching Rachel Maddow. No, no, young man. You are what's called a shit disturber, and you need to get the fuck off my Twitter and stay off, okay? Oh, crrr. But anyways, back to all these different labels and acronyms. What's wrong with keeping it simple? When we stay the straight community, your mind automatically knows the, that the man likes the woman or the woman likes the man. You don't hear a woman say, oh, I'm in the women-like-man community. No. When you hear gay community, why can't you just automatically think, okay, man likes man, woman likes woman, transgender, gay, and straight. Everybody falls in there somewhere. Boom. Simplified and understandable. I'm not saying I'm not with all the letters. I'm just saying, if we're going to do that, let's give people time to catch up, to learn it. Here's an example of what I mean. You're in a bar and a guy approaches a woman and asks for her number. She says, oh, I'm flattered, but in terms of relationships, I'm in the gay community. As the guy, boom, there you should, that should tell you. That's either a woman who likes women or a transgender male to female. Either way, you have the information that you need, right? If you are a guy looking for a woman in the straight community, she is not the one, my friend, and you are barking up the wrong tree. If I'm the guy, I'm like, oh, okay, cool, here's a drink, have a good night. The same principles apply for a woman, you know, if she's going to approach a man. Simple. I mean, most people are cool with gay or trans people in the United States and in a lot of countries now, too. That's equality, and most people support equality for all. Why? Because most people have a gay relative or friend or coworker in their lives that they love and want that gay person in their lives to be treated the same way that that straight person is treated. I know all my straight friends and family want me to be treated the same way as them, so I can't imagine other families being any different. And if you're in the camp that, oh, nobody in my family's gay, nine times out of ten, it is you, fool. All right, guys, that's all I got for you today. You can reach me at info at eastwestgrind.com, info at eastwestgrind.com. I want to thank you guys for coming back and for listening. Uh, I'll see you next time. And I got your back, guys. Peace.